Um, all right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Speakers Speak podcast. Today, I'm with Eileen. I found Eileen through LinkedIn, and her page seemed pretty dope. It seems like she has a little bit of knowledge on public speaking, so today she's going to shed a little bit of that knowledge for free on this podcast and hopefully get you guys some valuable information and get me some valuable information because I use this podcast to learn a lot about the industry as well. So Eileen, can you introduce yourself, who you are, and sort of what has been your history in the public speaking game, and then we'll get into a bunch of stuff. Sure. I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> Three decades plus of being self-employed ah, as a communication consultant and speech and presentation coach. So I started with a career in a master's in clinical speech pathology, which had nothing to do with public speaking. But after a downsize in the mental health field, I was in private practice. And then my passion for working in the performance area showed up and I had opportunities to contract with uh, or subcontract with a training and development firm that had corporate clients. So speaking as training and then another subcontract opportunity with a career management company who um, had outplaced senior executives as their clientele. And so my role was to role play and videotape their previously coached interview presentations and then give feedback on their performance or their presentation. And this was how many years after you had 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 started working in corporate and then you got started getting subcontract for, for No, it actually was my springboard for corporate. Oh, so it, it was internal in the same I company. Would, I was a private practitioner. Right. I was still doing some clinical speech correction mm-hmm. and people saw that I wanted to expand that. Gotcha. So I was probably the same age as yourself at the time. I started my career in my late twenties right? and I got these two opportunities that drove my skill sets. So I didn't go to college for say HR or business skills. I had speech skills that were paramedical and educational. And then I saw the opportunity through these two directions, one being career management and the other one being training and development. Interesting. Okay. So I've, I, um, I kind of just started getting into this. So I've been public speaking since I was 13, um, competitively in speech and debate. Um, I ended up doing pretty well in that. And that's kind of how I got my transition into, uh, the speaking industry. And then uh, a couple years ago, right, because I'm a junior in college, I'm like, all right, I have to do something with my life. Let me figure it out. Uh, I started researching that there is a corporate market for training and development, particularly in speaking of presentation skills. So now you were doing this 30 years ago. My question is, I'm still doing it. And you're still doing it. And, <laughs> right. And and, yeah. that, and that's amazing in and of itself. But so 30 years ago, uh, these are usually referred to as kind of like soft skills, right? And like people like you and me know that these things aren't soft, like, and, and the people who pay for the service know that it's not soft because if it was so soft, they would be able to get it done on their own. 30 years ago, did you see uh, such a need in the marketplace and did the market itself demand a need from people like you because <laughs> of how valuable it was, even if it wasn't 2020? Did people see the value in this type of training uh, three decades ago? I think that at that time, 
I didn't really think about need. I thought about opportunity and I was test marketing it because I really didn't know. Right. Didn't have a market research background. I just knew that in corporations, people have to do internal and external public speaking, you know, for meetings as well as conferences. And I just thought there must be an opportunity. And I had a connection with an HR director who confirmed there was training needs. And that's how I got my start. And that was in a pharmaceutical company. So when you got your start, it was kind of um, a, a, a demand that was there. As your career progressed, did you have to catch yourself selling yourself a little more? I mean, you're always selling yourself, but did you have to really sell the service or did you kind of initiate the offer and then people were like, huh, that's a good idea. And that's where your business started taking off. You know, I mean, admit, right? Yep. Um, I think you're always selling. That's absolutely true. If you're self-employed and if it's your, if you're an entrepreneur, I think I was always looking at the key words and the needs and investigating what the need was. And yes, I had to kind of reframe and rework the marketing pieces of it. For right. example, if the buzz was executive presence, right. then your marketing materials would slant a little bit towards that. If the market was about workforce 2000 way back when, which was the diversity change in the workforce, then I was promoting public speaking for international bilingual communicators. Right. So yes, there was an adaptation, you know, communication, as you know, is the, it's trivially said, but it is the lifeblood of an organization Absolutely. or society because without speaking or listening or reading or writing, we don't have any structure right. to conduct business. So we take it for granted. Most people think if they can talk, they can talk well. Right. And what usually happened was that once your performance or what you have to offer is looked at favorably, then there's like, well, what else do you do? Could you help this person with this? And some of it, I noticed that you're, you know, you're a seasoned public speaker with awards and debate. And you asked about keynote speaking, but there's a lot more out there beyond keynote speaking. Yeah. I mean, that's a great space. Yeah. But is a business person, I think it's a harder uh, mountain to climb. So yes, I've had some TED Talk coaching of, of clients. I have had a couple keynotes in my long career, but more of it is sales stage presentations, um, internal communications within a team, um, sometimes international kind of event presentations, interview presentations, networking, uh, the 30-second the elevator, elevator pitch, pitch type thing. Because right. all of those things are a on, I mean, the stage and the keynote, the one versus 10,000, that's public speaking. But everything you mentioned is even a, a more uh, crucial form of public speaking, I would argue, right? Because these are things that are so much interpersonal that you need people need help with immediately and are still that much afraid of, even if it's not 10,000 people. 
Yes, I would say that the two types of groups that would want your services and companies are the ones that are fearful and underperforming or think they're underperforming because they may have good skills but not have the confidence. Right. And then the others that are the talent management succession, you know, uh, address, you know, people that are going to go somewhere and they want to groom that person for the next level of director leadership. So they're, they are good, but they want to be great. Right. And the other people are fearful and they want to feel adequate. Now, did you also see yourself working with uh, L&D directors? Were those some of the go-to people that uh, were sort of the gatekeepers for your service to be implemented because they're in charge of making sure employees develop? You know, it, it really varies with companies. Um, maybe today that would be the inroad to opportunities and yes, training and development led me to executive coaching. I was doing classes through learning and development and they thought she could be really helpful to our senior executives one-on-one. -on -one. Right. So, but I can't say that my career um, journeyed through learning and development in HR. In fact, sometimes they got a bad rep, you know, as being such gatekeepers that you can't get anywhere. Right. I wouldn't say that now because I have HR partners that are truly, you know, partners. Right. But um, in the beginning, I think it had to do with more a team leader who had somebody who they wanted to groom to the next level. Right. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And like, did you end up building out this company to have multiple consultants and employees under you? Or have you kind of always been fine with being yourself and keeping going from there? Right. So mostly the latter of handling it myself. I think that might be the weak link to the business because one person can only do so much. Yeah. And it's, at one time I did offer someone a partnership or a partial partnership and it didn't work out for her. And I'm pretty fussy about who's going to be on my team Yeah, I'd imagine. So, until I find that person that I feel like can represent me and be themselves and know their work. Right. I just as soon go solo, gotcha. but I'm not sure that I would do it the same way if I started over. Um, okay, so I have one last question about business and then we're going to move on into some actual speaking tips. So, you know, I, there is, um, I would say as a communications consultant, as a public speaker in general, once you get really good at your craft and you're able to show companies your value, there is a decent amount of money in it. Um, and I'm not asking you to disclose any numbers or anything, but has there been a moment where you did a training or you did a speech and you ended up getting a check for a day or two or for a couple of hours and you looked at that number and you were like, I don't deserve this much money for what I'm doing. Someone please take this away. I feel guilty. Now, maybe you're just like, no, I deserve every last penny of it. But my point is, has there ever been an absurd amount of number you got that, that showed the value of your training, but you were also just like, wow, this is a lot of money? So, yes. And I've worked my <laughs> way up to, <laughs> I'm giving you that quick answer. I've worked my way up to a value over time. Yeah. But there was a couple of years ago, and it's not a great story. I mean, it's a good story, but not with a great ending for me. The money was, it was for a keynote. 
you got to be careful. So I, I hadn't done a big keynote. I had done a lot of training and a lot of coaching and I was so psyched and the, it came through an agent. So there was a marketing percentage that went to the agent, right. but I was, it was a good company and I was psyched and I didn't think I did my best. Right. And I did get a nice check, <laughs> but someone asked me, Eileen, would you, I guess this was your first time. So give yourself some, you know, space and right. credit, but which do you prefer? Do you like being the breakout presenting trainer type speaker? Or do you want to be on that stage as the keynoter? And be a rock star. And be a rock star. And I thought I wanted to be a rock star in that way. But I think my strongest skill set is training others right. and coaching others. And it took a long time. It, it took that one moment to uh, realize that, though, if I had an opportunity to do a keynote, I would do it. Right. Be, and not for the money, but for the experience, because every day is a different day. Yeah. And maybe there were a lot of environmental glitches in that scenario. And what was so, the what was the keynote speech about? What were you being called in to speak about? Diverse leadership. Diverse leadership. Interesting. Yeah, like, and you know, I, I did because I did speech and debate in high school. I used to travel across a lot of states, sometimes different countries, in international competition. And you know, when when you're competitive and you have a judge in the back of the room and you're trying to get their ballot just by the the level of persuasion you have in your speaking that I think started to build up into me this rock star persona, which is just like, I can convince you to vote for my team based on the words I say, and I'm going to kick the other person's ass while I'm doing it. <laughs> and on top of that, I always wanted to be a singer when I was little, but then when you get older, you realize you don't have any talent. So like, there's always been this need for me to want to be a rock star. So if I had to pick between the two at this moment in my life, I would pick the keynoter because I feel like that thrill of being on stage and getting the audience to react is so amazing, but I can understand. And it takes a lot of self-awareness for what you just admitted that like, yeah, I got paid a lot, but I, I didn't feel like it was the best speech because I've, I've had speeches where I definitely did not feel like I connected with the audience or made an impact and you feel shitty about it the day and you want to change that, right? Absolutely. I think in my earlier years, like I was never a singer, but I wanted at one point to be on stage as an actor. But because that's a profession that doesn't always come to fruition, it's harder. It's I went harder. into the scientific area of speaking. So there was this performance wannabe. Right. And I think... I didn't really promote myself as a speaker as much as I promoted my business as a speaking business. Right, right. And I could take a warm lead and close it and perform as a trainer or facilitator right. and do very well and then get individuals as coaching clients. And that just was the, the journey of the business. But don't give up on your rock star dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's 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 uh, it's it's partly why I'm 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 trying to get into speaking because weirdly I'm selfishly trying to fulfill this idea of being a rock star even if I can't perform on stage. And you know the reason a lot of speakers make a lot of money is because because I was also researching this right because I've just started entering the market research phase of the industry and I'm like why the fuck is this guy getting two hundred grand for an hour like what what like what I don't, <laughs> what I don't know anyone who gets two hundred grand do you yeah. Really? I mean, 
I mean, there's a lot. There's there's a lot of speakers outside of presidents that I've seen get 200 grand, 250 grand. Um, obviously, you have to be an unbelievably exceptional person. That that's not going out to everybody. You have to build your reputation. One of the yeah. One of the things that I learned in that period of keynote wannabe was that being an author yeah. can be the starting point of getting recognized in that field of being a speaker, a, a keynote speaker. Yeah. I don't know if you've written yet, but I would urge you, I would, I would write the book rock star speaking. <laughs> Wow, I think, that's cool. <laughs> go for it. And I would even put it on your, your business card. I think uh, you've got something there. Yeah, no, people have definitely said a book is a good entryway. To me, I mean, in, in our social media age, and you know this, this is why we're doing this podcast, it's just, it's just the level of output you put out there to get your name out there. Whether it's, you know, one podcast could go viral and could have the same effect as a book, it, 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 potentially, right? Like on, a, on some level. Now, obviously, the book gives you leadership authority and your credibility and thought leadership and all that. But it's just putting your personality out there and seeing if you can build a tribe around it. And if you can, then that following can eventually end up being something big. Yeah, right. So it doesn't have to be a book. It might be a white paper, it might be a magazine, like published in Forbes. You get something like that going, your name starts to go viral. Starts to build up. And you're much more socially media savvy, social media savvy than my generation. Right. So you probably know a lot more here about no, no. how to market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I'm learning how to use these tools to market because it's just, I mean, we have access to billions of people at the tap of a button, right? Mm -hmm. That That's how we connected. So it's a really unprecedented time, I think, in human history for us to have this much information, right, for free uh, and connection. So... It's definitely a different marketing world. You, you've been doing this for 30 years. Um, I So now I want to ask a little bit of a question about, uh, as a speaking coach, the level of fulfillment you've had. Is this, you can't get those 30 years back, but you can get the memories and experience you've had over those 30 years to feel that it was meaningful. Have you felt, and if you so, why, uh, that this was a purposeful journey that you decided to take throughout your life? So... Let's roll back and remember that I started out as a clinician, a, a mental health speech focused clinician, which right. means that my training was about helping and finding strategy for someone else's speaking success. Right. Not public speaking, but post-stroke, stuttering, autism, all right. those um, challenges. So my my gut my my heart is in support of others from an earlier time even though i was a young kid teenager wanting to be an actor which was more self-performance right i went into college and my goal became clinical so i'm very satisfied by some sometimes even someone's change in how they feel about their speaking even though they haven't integrated all the tools that would make them better. Right. Because I've, I've dealt with people who have been traumatized. Uh, so I have this psychological plus skill set dynamic into in my way of doing things. And I have met some very, very traumatized people. Um, victims of rape, um, relocation, being the only person in a culture with a different race, things like that, ridicule, bullying, a lot of um, 
harsh things. Self-doubt. Yeah. You know, and so having a voice, just getting up and doing something. And a lot of people are perfectionists. They're not bad at all, but they are focused and their attitudes and belief systems are such that they can't speak. They can't. They, they, they just go into an anxiety attack within their when their team leader says, I want you to present. Right. So I'm very, very fulfilled is in facilitating someone else's success. And even if the, the movement is tiny, if, there's, if they're empowered, if they find their voice, it's not like their speech is super, right. but it moved, you know, the needle moved and the feedback is so appreciative and their careers shift yeah. as a result. So I'm very satisfied with that level of support. And I, yeah, and I think that's kind of what we're, we're, we're doing in this lifetime, right? We're, we're, whether you're building an electric car or whether you're a teacher at, at an elementary school, you're trying to figure out how can I do something, offer a product or service, at least in, in the business world, and have that have a fundamental impact on someone's life. And if you make a shitty product and it has a bad impact on someone's life, you don't feel like you're doing your job. And if you don't think that you're actually getting someone from point A to point B, even in a slight way, you don't feel like you're doing your job. So I like that you brought up that it was never about public speaking in the beginning, which is you know so much more abstract. It was about people who've been through trauma and need to find an inner voice to even get ready to move on with the rest of their life. That could be unbelievably fulfilling if you know, you're helping someone who has PTSD get over that fact to some extent, right? That's interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this kind of uh, ability for me to be intuitive with personalities and strategic with interventions guided my career towards supporting interpersonal communication as well as public speaking and presentation. So a manager would say she doesn't speak up at a meeting or we need her to be a, him or her to be a better ambassador, which means uh, water cooler conversations, incidental ones, just being social. Um, someone else might be like, can you work with this person? They're very dogmatic and heavy handed and they're not a good team player. And so it, it's, they're kind of those three areas, you know, the keynote, the training, and then this interpersonal space of communication improvement or effectiveness. Right, right. Um, okay, so let's talk about now, let's say I'm a project manager, I come up to you, Eileen, I'm like, look, we're going to throw a lot of many, money at you, we just need you to get Jessica to speak up in these meetings, because she's not speaking up, she has a fear of public speaking, she has speech anxiety, w what is your, your process when you deal with these clients, how do you get them to, to find this level of inner voice to actually care about speaking? So it's very, I think it's very um, kind of basic, if you're a good listener, and you have an open mind and heart as therapists might be described. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's a very natural thing to, I would sit with that person. I'd explain, I, I, I'd find um, alignment in terms of why we're here. Why do you think we're here? This is what I'm told by your manager mm -hmm. and just interview tell me your concerns, tell me what your, why you prefer to sit back and not ask, you know, or speak up. And, you know, it's not just a she, by the way, because now I'm thinking of a, a, a man. Sometimes it's the 
the work and neurological preferences a person has. So you, you could look at it as introvert, extrovert, ambivert, that kind of thing, but really the work style. So I like to sit back in a room, absorb, this is someone saying this to me, and absorb everybody's comments. Mm. I need longer time to process. I don't wanna speak up because I don't wanna make a stupid remark. I don't have anything to say different from someone else saying something. So sitting back is not like I'm avoiding, someone could say, it's just the way I am. Okay, well then your boss thinks you're not present mentally because you're not saying anything. So I would guide that person to say, look, even if you have nothing new to say, your goal is to say one thing in a meeting and it doesn't have to be novel. It could anchor someone else's opinion. So it's a, like baby steps towards a goal. And one of the baby steps is, I agree. Right. Or that makes sense to me. Because now you've had a voice. It doesn't have to be, you know, Einstein voice. Right. But your boss now knows you're not sitting there out to lunch. You're, you're present because you've been heard. Right. Which is, which is invariably important to them. And... For, for these people who are in, in specifically in interpersonal dynamics that are having a hard time speaking, how long is this a process for you to get through to them? Is it a couple of hours? Is it is a couple of days, a couple of weeks? So it probably could be um, a day or two, three, two, two hour sessions or three, two hour sessions. Sometimes it is. And sometimes you package your services in a certain way. And so I think three to six sessions, depending upon the company and the person is what I've done. And they're usually longer sessions, 90 minutes to two hours. Right. Um, that, that first session is probably most important because right. the trust and confidence to go deeper to the roots. You know, somebody might not know why they're afraid to speak publicly. They okay. just know they get panic attacks and they take pharmaceuticals to control their heartbeat. And I've had a couple of those. And then you kind of like, do you want to know the deeper cause? You know, let's talk about it. And if you're getting, it's like a therapeutic arrangement, you're peeling layers. So that's what I was gonna ask. Do you have to get super introspective with them? Do you have to be like, what happened when you were seven years old? Like, do you have to really get into them? I don't ask that question, but I do ask the question of, was there ever a time that you felt that you were shut down or ridiculed or embarrassed mm -hmm. because of your speaking? Right. And but that question often just brings it to the surface. Oh, I was in fifth grade and I had to do this talk and I, I don't know, you know, whatever the scenario is, people will, I don't want to, I don't want to ask those psych those questions as a psychologist. I want to ask those questions as a coach right? And, and see what insights they get. I don't ask. So their insights come from the trust and response to the question. Was there ever a time that you remember? And some people do, and some people don't. Yeah. And they, they might follow up with, well, could there be, have been something? I said, well, I'll give you some scenarios of other people. You know, uh, it, as an example, some stories, 
And sometimes that elicits a recall, but I am absolutely not wanting that my clients be in therapy with me. And if there is a trauma that gets uncovered, I have a, a commitment to myself that I will not see a person for more than six or 10 at the most sessions before I have to refer them. Right. You know, so, um, this, you might uncover something, you might cover it back up and say, okay, that happened. Now let's get on with today and some skills. And I do want to say, admit that more people need the skills to overcome the fear than we have to solve the old problem of trauma. Right. That's, that's a minority, but I think part of the problem is that we don't have public speaking as a course in school. We don't have listening or speaking unless you have a handicap in school. And so we underrate its value. And then people like you rise to the top because you get the value and you get the excitement of it. But just even the idea of knowing how to do a, a show and tell or a book report, little kids are asked to get in front of a room and talk as if talking in front of a room is equal to talking from your seat. That's a good point. There's no, uh, well, it's, it's just teachers aren't trained to realize that all talking isn't the same. That's a, that's a very, very good point, Eileen, because you know, when I was young and I, and, um, I started doing presentations in school. I also recognized at an early age, like fifth, sixth grade, that I was different from a lot of the other kids. That when I would get up, I, I, there would be nervous jitters, but I, I had the mentality of, I want to kill it. I want to really show off this presentation. Whereas these other kids, I mean, like, when I would see them, even in college, like, it's the same thing. They're stuttering, they're nervous, they're scared, they're just trying to read everything off the text. And I always never cared about the PowerPoint. I genuinely cared about having an impact. And, that, and that's when I noticed, like, uh, I was a little bit different when it came to speaking. And... It's crazy because, you know, that shouldn't be something natural in someone. That shouldn't be someone based off experience. That is one of the core fundamental values of success in a business or just in in the pursuit of life. Because for you to make a movement, for you to have an impact, you've got to talk about it. you got to communicate it in some form of medium. And the most common medium for everyone is speaking. So the fact that schools don't have a dedicated even one year class in high school where that's mandated is interesting. And I guess, you know, maybe it's not more important than science in the context of like you have to learn about photosynthesis but how many like like we don't fucking care about photosynthesis that much you know (laughs) like it's just there yeah it's a very different kind of balance for example i i didn't have a public speaking class i got trained by a trainer to add to my toolkit you might have had a public speaking class i got trained after school as an activity but not a full class okay so you know there are I think what happens is the training comes at the point of, I was going to say, the training comes late. People have already had an embarrassing or less than comfortable situation. And that adds to the fear or tension about performance going forward. Right. So companies that are doing presentation training, um, Sometimes they just do it as a learning and development. Here is a course, and it doesn't have any immediate um, 
application. Yes, you're going to be in meetings, watching presentations, doing presentations, but some of the tools, they, they sit for a while until that opportunity shows up. Right, right. Um, and that's where coaching can come in because if you package a training and add on a coaching session per client, right. I think you add value to your training. Because now you're personalizing their, say, their opening, their start, their story, right. the slides, the Q&A process. You can coach them to make sure they're more ready right. and, and, and confident. And focused and individualized and it's more holistic versus just a general presentation course that they you got it. in a couple of years. Got have it. you seen uh, throughout your career your ability or have you marketed to... Uh, uh, well, I have two groups of people and you can both tell me about both. One is the technical engineers and the people who have like, it's very hard. They're socially awkward, but they're literally changing the world, but they just can't talk about how they're changing the world. And second is lawyers. Has there been a market for you with like lawyers who need better argumentation skills, uh, communication skills? Like, cause that's like the, literally the basis for how they win their cases. Right. Right. So I, I would say that you said first, what was the word? First word? Engineers. Yes, I have worked with scientists, um, IT professionals, um, con, um, what is it? Compliance officers, mm -hmm. government types, um, kind of stuffy, data-intensive presentations. But right. you know, it's not the data; it's the person who explains the data. Right. And, and so, here's a little scenario: I was doing a team training at a high-end pharmaceutical company with one of the HR partners. So she was a trainer within HR and we were doing this together and it was an IT group. And the issue was basic skills, but empowerment and storytelling. Right. And she said to me, you know, these guys are really binary. You know, this is going to be a tough training because they think black and white, right? Right. It was one of the most empowered trainings I ever did. People locked into a personal story, which is something I like to kick off in terms of their presentations, you know, getting away from hi, my name is, and I'm going to talk to you about. Yeah. And they were palpable because underneath that data intensive scientist, clinical person is a real person or is a full person, a human. Right who might have a family and who also drives a car like you do and has a house and um, has feelings. And you, you <clears throat> I think I, I really work towards connecting with the deeper person, not just the role that they play in their career. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's very true. I've, I've had uh, a little bit of experience. I've worked with a couple of engineers and, you know, I, I worked with an engineer who had coded something that like, literally sent an electromagnetic shockwave and, and took a paralyzed hand and, and made it go up. He worked on it with his entire team. And he was like, yeah, I have to give a, uh, a there's a four minute presentation. I have one minute because there's three other people who are doing the other three minutes. What do I say in this one minute? And, you know, we worked through it and we made an analogy and a metaphor for waves and how this works. And he was just like, wow, that's, that's a really cool way to explain it. And like, it just boggled my mind. So like, you did the hard work of coding this ridiculous thing that, that billions of people cannot do. And it seems like the easy part should be talking about it, but they just, their, their minds are so fundamentally oriented in a different way and you can't blame them for that, right? I think that's the key point. I mean, they, the neurology 
yours and mine, if we opened up our brains, may have some similarities. Right. But, you know, I would never be an IT engineer, or, you know, a technical kind of... And when uh, did you recognize that? Did you recognize that when you were 20, that you're not, you're not in the technical... Well, I think I recognized it before I was 20. For example, I thought I was going to be an actor, but then I decided, no, I'm going to be a helping professional. I'm going to be a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. And I went, I interviewed for colleges. They looked at my report, you know, my, my grades, and they said, you're not that comfortable in the science area as far as, say, chemistry, organic chemistry, and physics but you could work with the same population because you're in the speaking area because you're good with language and you're good with the arts and right. the linguistic arts. And so instead of helping somebody walk, I turned into someone who helps people speak or talk. And so I really did want to help people who couldn't mobilize themselves or ambulate, but my strength was not in the subjects that would require be required so i got you know detoured and in a good way right i think um people know what they're good at you know i think and then they try to either fake it or make it right because like there's people i know in college who are not good at naturally doing computer science technical coding stuff but they still do it because they think there's money in there, they think there's job opportunities. And for me, I guess I was just self-aware enough to be like, and not only am I not good at this, naturally and analytically, I want to tell stories. I do not want to sit on a computer coding. And I, and I don't think that's arrogance. I think that's genuinely being introspective and recognizing I can probably pursue this, but I'm going to be average at most compared to everyone else who has a passion for coding, who are willing to stay up hours on hours on hours and get the code done where I can barely stand for minutes trying to do this. And then you got to pivot. I think we have our intrinsic and neurological um, predetermined strengths. Yep. And we, if you can play to your strengths, you could overcome your weaknesses. But I think, as you're saying, where's your passion? Right. So, um, and sometimes your passion doesn't bloom. Like if you want to be a vocalist, rock star, and that doesn't happen, Right. So you have another passion, public speaking or debate. I wanted to be a dancer at one point. I dance. I take lessons continuously, but I'll never be. I, I don't want to be on stage. I want to just dance. And um, that is the passion and helping people with communications. So, you know, you, you kind of pick and choose. Uh, there are other things we can do. There, you know, there, there are probably a lot of different jobs. Right. And, and that's why I like my story and I like the way it's turning out because, you know, the story of, oh, I, at five years old, I knew I wanted to be a singer, a rock star. And then, you know, I released my first album at 15 and then I toured the world. And like, like, that's a cool story. That's a nice story. But I think what's a more relatable story is I wanted to do this. Like I have a burning passion for this, but then I physically, it's like wanting to be the NBA. You physically realize you were not getting taller than you know, five, seven. So like, it's just not going to happen. 
So then how can you still take that passion for basketball, that passion for stage performance, and use it and manipulate it in a way that is in line with your strengths, whether it's journalism now or whether it's it's public speaking, and still live the essence of your dream, even if you physically cannot live the, the full final manifestation of it. I, I think that's what most people in the world who are not intrinsically talented or have the, the heights and the physical talents at birth um, have to deal with. And it's important to figure out how to do that pivot, like you said. So how many business people do you know that have garage bands with their friends? Right. You know, it's like you don't lose the passion, but you you balance the reality. Yeah. You know, that only a certain amount of people and a lot of effort and money often or just chance puts you at the top right. and you become a big celebrity. So it doesn't mean you because you can't be a celebrity that you have to quit. You know, I also draw and paint. I know finding out that Eileen has a lot of talents today. <laughs> <laughs> well, they may be novice, but for some people, they're like, you did this? Right. I, yeah. But I never really went in the direction of that as a career. Right. So, so to your point, I wanted to be an actor and then gave, didn't even pursue it, but went to a college that had a lot of acting courses and a lot of oral um interpretation courses, debate and accent. And, you know, it was a very specialized kind of school besides the speech therapy aspect of it. And so I was around that scene. Um, didn't mean I participated, but I was around that scene. Fast forward, here I am working in, as a mental health clinician in the speech area. Fast forward, I'm in private practice, mostly clinical cases. Then a business person says, can you help me with a fundraising speech? And so when, and, and that kicked it off. And then right. the other subcontracts I mentioned and, and what I realize now without having planned it. So, you know, strategically, I see that coaching and training in the speech presentation area is kind of the bridge between that acting wish and the, um, and the helping, you know, to be a coach puts me in some level of performance. Right. Because, and, and it's more like I'm an agent of someone else's stage yep. performance, but it's the bridge between being um, a therapist, coaching and, and facilitating is, is a bridge between the actor and the clinical supporter. Right. I was talking to another consultant um, a couple months ago and he said, uh, his name is Neil Gordon. And he was just like, I like being that secret, basically agent that someone has to give a speech. I come in, I help them for five hours and then I'm out and then they go kill it. And he's like, that's where he's like, I don't even like performing that much. I just love being there, getting their message sharp, having them execute it. And then I'm on to the next person. And that's his happiness. Right. And, you know, that's his basis for then, then moving on with his life and living out his dream. And I think, you know, I come from the science clinical, I mentioned it a lot of times. Other people are actors that have learned tools and tips that they, and they become speech coaches. Right. You're, you've got a public speaking debating background yeah. and, and an MBA, right? Uh, no, I'm still, I'm still graduating undergrad. All right. So some people come from MBA, some people come from acting, some people come from a speech science clinical background, and each one of them has something to offer. Right, right. But it may not, the outcome, everybody wants the same outcome. They want 
strength, excitement, or uh, excellence in performance. Yep. But they're, they're tips and tools and strategic direct um, paths may be a little bit different. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a really good conversation. I think a lot of people are going to get some value out of this. I do have one final question and then I'm going to get you out of here, but I think you've, you've given a lot of different insight that um, Thanks. Uh, other guests haven't been able to do just based upon your experience. Uh, the, the MBM in my company stands for Motivated by Mortality. Um, and the sort of philosophical orientation I have uh, based upon having an existential crisis at 20 years old was that we are all going to die. And the, the fact that there's a finite amount of time to make this, the, the, this period that we have in our life meaningful and purposeful so that we feel like we, 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 we did something at the end of, at the, end of uh, the journey of life uh, is really important. And to me, communication is a framework and a gateway to be able to achieve that meaning and purpose. And uh, the way I have coached people to get over the fear of public speaking, and this is why I kind of asked you what your methodology is, and I want to ask you what your take is on this method, is telling people and getting them to recognize that they're going to die. And when I say this, a lot of people think that this is really morbid or this is uh, out of the box or that this is like going too far. And I understand, I'm empathetic to those perspectives, but at least from a subjective perspective to me, the reason I speak is not because I'm extroverted. It's not because like, there's a lot of reasons, but the reason I fundamentally speak and I communicate is because I know there will be a day objectively where I will not be able to do that. And because that is true, from a philosophical perspective, if you want to create meaning in this life, and we know meaning comes through the ability for us to effectively communicate, because that has uh, that, that that involves taking a risk, that involves having impact on other people, then understanding the the crisis of our mortality, the fact that it's inevitable, should serve as a motivator or serve as something to help mitigate the fear of not wanting to speak, because you quite literally recognize one day you won't have the chance to make an impact and to speak up in a project meeting and things like that. What do you think about that? I think it's very you. (laughs) (laughs) So that I I read your, you know, couple paragraphs about MBM and I thought, wow, that's true. I'm going to die, but that would never in this time for me, motivate me. Now age difference living in the, you know, different times, maybe your generation could absolutely hook into that. Um, I would probably saying, uh, what is it that you want to do? Like your bucket list, you know, what is it that is important for you? And, and maybe it's the same to, you know, you've heard it this way. What do you want people to write on your tombstone? I'll probably be cremated and won't have a t- tombstone, right. but what do you want people to remember you for? And so that, I don't know if I want them to remember me for my career only, you know, um, or my ability to, but I think, you know, I'm right in the space of thinking this through your question. I'm thinking of it as a, if I can get more specific, if someone had the fear of public speaking and you came up to them and and you, and obviously this is a totally bastardized version of like what I'm saying, but like in in a nutshell, you told them, look, you're going to die. And you need to recognize that in order to have a meaningful life, you need to have the confidence to be able to speak. That's kind of what you're saying. The only thing I'm adding is this fear of this, this, this existential crisis that should serve as a foundation for you to get over the fear. I don't know if it would motivate everybody, but I do feel like um, some people will say to me, okay, 
great. I'll die and I won't have to make a speech. <laughs> That's perfect. That's, yeah. you know, some people, some people that. will, and other people might say, you know what, I'll give it a go. Right. Right. Absolutely. I think that is a perfect way to end the podcast. No, and you know, I'm, I'm still 22 right now. I'm really trying to hone in on the philosophical orientation and views I have towards life and the concepts that, that make me who I am. So, you know, it, I'm developing as a comment. I, that's why I, I like asking people like you who've been in the game for a while, like, what is your opinion? How do you, how do you think about these types of things? And, and what perspectives can you offer to me? And I'm listening to the, for the open. Ear. Well, what I'd like to do with you, Amit, offline is exchange maybe TED Talks or other speeches that we come across online that we say, I like this and I like this because, right. you know, it's like, what, what do you see as strong? Right. And does it align with what I see as strong? Right. And who knows if they're a match? Yeah. So I'd be curious if you want to send me a link to something that you've seen. I, I watch a lot of TED, mm -hmm. um, but I also gather, you know, right. uh, speaking things online. And so if if you ever feel like you want to have a, you know, exchange like that, I'd be no, great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I talk with most of the guests after the podcast because I, I don't want this to be a one time thing. You know, it should always be a constant flow of, of just uh, relationship building after this. So, yeah, totally. Well, you were a dynamic and engaging interviewer, and I really appreciated the, the opportunity. Thank you for being on the podcast, everybody. That was the Speakers Speak podcast. Uh, if you want to find Eileen, they can contact you. At uh, speakingthatconnects.com. Awesome. Speakingthatconnects.com. You can also look that up on LinkedIn, and you'll probably find her profile. And yeah, I guess today's takeaway from this conversation truly is some life advice, which is that if your dream can't be manifested, figure a way to pivot and still get the most out of it. All right. Thank you for being on the podcast. Goodbye. Bye.